Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Peak to Pit. I'm Allie Peak with TJ Pittinger. We are getting to the the end of the season, getting close to conference championship games. Our playoff picture is going to become a little clearer here in another week or two. Um, we know your Seminoles are not competing for a championship, but that might be one of the only things we know about this football season. I think everything's pretty up in the air at this point. Wow, digs off the bat. Um, can't even ask how the week is going. What you know? Hey, how is your week going? I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> like, just cancel the whole podcast. No, it's going well. Um, no championship, at least in football. Uh, basketball is is tipped off this week, and, and we can talk some uh, FSU UF hoops if that'll put me in a better mood um, later on. But yeah, no uh, no championship for Florida State. But we're happy that we're we have games back. Florida State plays yes. Duke this weekend and uh, plays Wake Forest next weekend, and so. You know, it was all kind of fun games when all the games got canceled. But we mentioned this the last time we spoke that it was funny and haha, we don't have to take these losses. And then you see like kids complaining on Twitter, like, oh, I wanted to walk across the field for senior day. And it kind of put it into perspective sure. that that really sucks. And so I am glad that we are getting to play. I'm also glad that our games against Clemson and Virginia have been replaced with games against Duke and Wake Forest. Um, so yeah. blessings all around. Uh, the ACC doesn't usually treat us super, super well. Um, but little Christmas present there to to not have to, you know, replay what could have been two really bad losses. So uh, before we get into that, talking about the Christmas spirit, you and your family have something that you guys do every year. And I want you to talk about that before we get into anything else. Yeah, this is my favorite Christmas um tradition i, I we right, after, see, right after elf on the shelf right, right like, well we do really like elf <laughs> on the shelf in this house although i don't know that there's any charity involved in elf on the shelf um but every year for about the last 20 years um my family has gone to sports authority and bought soccer balls basketballs footballs we try and buy um balls that don't require additional equipment, if that makes sense. So like we don't usually do volleyballs because you would need the net. Um, we do do basketballs because there's so many parks that have hoops, but so we don't do baseballs because you would need a glove and a bat. Um, but we do do, you know, soccer balls. You can kick it against a house, a apartment building, a, you know, kick it around in a field in the park, whatever football, you can throw it around. Um, so, and then we bring them to Metropolitan Ministries. Metropolitan Ministries has serves the Tampa community and has for a lot, a lot of years. They set up a tent where underprivileged families can come and pick the Christmas presents for their children off the shelf um, so that they have something to be under the tree. And, it, you know, it kind of gives them, um, and not that every charity is not great because it is, but I think sometimes it's different when it's like, okay, here's a bag of presents. You don't know what's in it, but just, you know, be grateful. And obviously people are when you have, when you don't have a lot of things, you are grateful for whatever's given to you. But I think Metropolitan Ministries is extra special because, you know, maybe your kid really wanted a basketball or they really wanted, you know, a, a specific toy or whatever. Usually Metropolitan Ministries can accommodate that, which I think is really cool because, you know, little kids don't have any any idea what's realistic or what's not for their families. So when they're asking Santa Claus for something, it's not in their mind, you know, can mommy and daddy buy this? 
So I think that's something really cool about Metropolitan Ministries. But anyway, so we, you know, we used to be Sports Authority before they went out of business. Now we do it at Dick's Sporting Goods. We go. We <laughs> You've seen up- that. You've seen the thing this week on Twitter, like date yourself with an old store, like you just did that. Yes, without even I did. Part of the, without, without, yes. we yeah. used to, then we then we drive over to Circuit City and grab our. Literally, our I think product. it's only been two years that we've done it at Dick's because it was at Sports Authority all the years before that. But um, we go, we kind of give them a heads up because we do usually, for the most part, clear the shelves, and so then it might leave them with some really unhappy shoppers if they're not aware that you know we're coming, and so maybe have some extra inventory on hand, but. Um, there's seven kids in my family. So if you can picture, you know, 10, 15 years ago when there's seven of us literally like wreaking havoc through this store, running each other over with shopping carts, climbing up on the shelves, workers concerned that we're going to fall off, you know, screaming wild children. Like I'm sure at that point it was a sight to see. And now it's a sight to see because there's so many of us, four out of the seven of us are married with children and all of our children come too, who are now the ones that are scaling the shelves and running each other over with shopping carts and, and whatnot. But, um, so it's grown over the years because now the the four of us, our families also contribute the ones of us that are adults and married. And, um, it's just a really neat thing that we do at Christmas. It's one of my favorite, uh, traditions. My dad's concept has always been that if you give a ball to a child, you can occupy a whole neighborhood. And as opposed to, you know, giving a baby doll or something like that, like this is something that really can, can help entertain a lot of people. Um, and there's a lot of good lessons that lie in sports too. And so I, I, that's always been part of it. But, you know, last year, the big three roll up made a really sizable donation to it. So we were able to get even more balls than, than before we've had friends of ours, um, sometimes friends of, of, you know, y'all's podcasts, people that I've met on social media that have reached out and said, how can we help? And so they'll Venmo us or drop off a check or, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, it just means more balls for kids in the, in the community. Yeah, no, it's a super awesome organization or not even organization, but just event or thing that you guys do. I, I heard you go on the stadium and Gale, um, this week and talk about it. And, um, we need an official like name or something to, to be able to label it by. And, uh, it kind of stuck up on me this year. I didn't even kind of remember that it was going on. Maybe that's just from doubling the number of people that I now have to take care of in, in, in our house. But, uh, I don't <laughs> right. know any, I don't know anything that's going on at this point, but I don't know how you do. Well, I guess you did that last year. So you now you 2020 has been an easy year for you. Um, so, <laughs> but, uh, how can people contribute? How can they help out? Obviously, we'll tweet some stuff today. Um, but how, how can people if help you out? if you wanted to reach out to me on social media, we can we can talk about it um, through. If you want to send me a DM or something, there's you could Venmo me, you could PayPal me, you could show up at Dick's the day that we're going to be there. I mean, there's um, I, I we have a video we put together last year that I tweeted out last year. I'll retweet it this year, so it's kind of a behind the scenes look of what it's like on this day when we when we go and do this, and you can check it out. My Twitter is. Um, at Ali, A-L-I underscore peak, P-E-E-K. And we'll tweet it out from the um, the pod too. So if you were to want to reach out on Facebook, it'll, it's Ali Peak Wilbur if you, you know, if you go on Facebook or whatever. But um, there's not something formal set up. But like I said, people have reached out to me. We've figured out a way to make it work. And the more people that, that help, the more kids, um, the, the more kids get to enjoy uh, Christmas morning. Yeah, no, so super awesome. I'm super excited. Um, I love the video that you guys put together last year for it. And so hopefully we get something similar this year. Obviously all the kids are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's fun. It is. Uh, it's fun to see, you know, in regards to the name I said on Stadium Gale, er, every year, Eric suggests balls deep. And every year my dad just rolls his eyes at Eric and just keeps doing whatever he's doing. Like this is just not even any acknowledgement that this name has been thrown out. I always say like, um, play on or play it forward or something like there's got to be something in there somewhere. So also if you have a super creative name, tweet it to us. Um, but oh God, that'll be, yeah, that'll, that'll, that's going to, that go won't go well. Way. Is that what you're telling me? Um, <laughs> but, you know, anyway, anybody that wants to be involved, the more the merrier. Um, we, it goes directly to, two kids. There is, there's, there's no middleman. It goes directly to Metropolitan Ministries. We personally put it on the shelves um, that was always another thing about my dad growing up is that he wanted us to load the card. He wanted us to unload it. Like he wanted us to see kind of the effort that had to go into what these charities do. And that's something that always has stuck with me at Christmas. I think it's one thing, um, 
to know that these charities exist and donate to them and whatever, but it's another to actually see the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so a great event, reach out to Allie, myself or the podcast account and I'll put you back in touch with her. If, if you do reach out we're to me, we're doing and, it and Sunday, we'll... it's um, Sunday, December 13th. So if you have any interest this week, hit any of us up. Yeah. And we'll get you coordinated and, um, be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, back to back to football. Florida played this weekend, last weekend, however you want to say that, against Tennessee in a game that was never particularly in doubt, maybe a little frustrating early. Uh, but Florida won 31-19, was up 31-7, and then Tennessee scored a couple of late touchdowns to make it a little closer than it looked. I don't know that it was the absolute dominating performance that UF fans beg for and hope for. Um you know, I don't know if Dan Mullen did quite enough in Florida fans' eyes to uh, help assist Kyle Trask's stats. I want to be very careful with my wording that I use on here uh, because it's 2020 and I don't want to upset people. But Kyle Trask did throw for four touchdowns, one from the two-yard line on first down. I'll have you note. But uh, I think Dan Mullen did just enough for Kyle Trask and, and didn't need to do any more. He since, did have Kyle since- Trask punt, which I am – a thousand percent convinced was a Heisman. Um, it's kind of like a turnover. It's kind of like a turnover, though, if you think about it. Like Kyle Trask, well, the, Kyle Trask's play resulted in the other team getting the ball. Yeah, so I, I don't I think, think that anybody him. looks at it like that. <laughs> I think that it's it's showing how multifaceted you are. That's like Spurrier kicking an extra point in his Heisman year. Um, uh, you know, there's lots of instances we can point to where the eventual Heisman trophy winner did something that shows he was capable of playing another position, which, uh, and to be fair, it was a pooch punt that was down on like the three yard line. So it was, it was actually pretty damn effective. I don't know that Florida's punter could have done a better job of that. So bravo to Kyle Trask for that, but it was a total Heisman play. Like that's, that was, that's the only reason that happened. So once again, Mullen just padding the stats at this point, like just a hundred percent. He listens to the podcast and and went with it. Now, there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about that this week. I know that I'm the one that started this movement, and so I'm very sorry that that it has now become an actual thing. There's a lot of talk on Twitter about the fact that you know Jones and Trask are, are kind of your two Heisman leaders at this point, and so there's been a lot of talk about how games are called. Again, nothing wrong with this. Uh, but obviously Florida has been very, very, very pass heavy. And especially recently, they've been very, very pass heavy. I looked at the numbers on Trask's four touchdown drives. Do you know how many times Florida ran the ball? Nope. Tell me. Twice. Florida ran the ball twice on those two drives. Both runs, uh, one drive had one run, one had another. The other two had none, uh, no runs. Um I don't think that's bad. It's just who Florida is. You know, I don't know that it's so much a, a conversation that Florida just can't run the ball because they ran the ball really good in some games. And I think the pass is just more effective. And so, you know, that's fine that that's kind of what it is. But it brings up the conversation of the fact that does – is the – and I know you're going to side with Trask here, So, but I'm trying to think of the way to word this – Kyle Trask is undoubtedly having the most, the best statistical year, but just because somebody has the best statistical year does not, in my opinion, mean that they're having the best year or that they're the better player. That's that's a fair statement. I think that that's a fair statement. So my thought there is uh, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask's yards are negligible, right? Like it's within a hundred. Um, their completion percentage, it's, it's about 5% Mac Jones's way touchdowns are wet in 5%, you know, Mac Jones is around 75, 76 and Trask is like 70, 71, all amazing, right? Like I'm not like, Oh, 71%. That's terrible. Mac is a little bit more efficient, not a ton, right? Maybe two completions more a game. Uh, Mac Jones also throws the ball quite a bit less. So his yards per attempt and yards per completion are quite a bit higher. Um, so is it more impressive to be throwing the ball downfield or closer? I, I don't know. I mean, just kind of like considering all of it, but the old, the biggest thing is that Florida throws way more touchdowns than, than they, um, run. And that's again, not good nor bad, but basically Jones is more efficient and Trask throws for more touchdowns. And so, so I don't know that either one of them would, I say like, 
oh, this guy is, you know, better because he throws for more yards per play as opposed to like nickel and diamond teams on the field. But that, that's just kind of like my thoughts and, and why I think and that Vegas kind of flipped the Heisman odds this week, put made Jones a, a slight favorite over it, not necessarily saying he's going to win it or it's locked up or anything like that. But that's just kind of where I see things. Right. I think that other people realize that too. Jones so, is having a really, really good year. He, he is a they really just, great player. And this is like debating, you know, uh, like Mercedes or BMW or something. You know what I mean? Like it's not, there's not a wrong answer. They're both great quarterbacks. I don't think that you could go wrong with either one of them winning. I think that every team in the country for the most part, outside of probably Clemson um, or Ohio State would kill to have either one of them as their quarterback at the moment. So it is fair to say that nothing that we're saying is a knock on either player, but you do have to pick one, right? At the end of the day, I think that for me, when you watch both of them, I think the difference, and, and I do give the nod to Kyle Trask, but I do think I would do this regardless of whether or not he was my quarterback. If you watch Kyle Trask, he threads the needle. He throws, he has some incredible balls. A lot of the time, Mac Jones throws it up and his track team of wide receivers come down with it. That is not the weapons for as many weapons as we talk about Florida having. And I think that this wide receiver room has really been the shock of the season for everybody. It's hard to imagine that you put four wide receivers in the NFL last year and then you still have had the kind of success that you've had with your offense this year. But Alabama has better athletes at wide receiver than Florida does. They just do. They have incredible, incredible athletes. So I think it's easier to be more efficient. I think it's easier to have those long passes when no matter what, your stud guy is coming down with it. And I think that that will eventually be the difference here. I think that Kyle Trask is a more skilled quarterback, and I think he's working with less weapons than Alabama is. And that's not a knock on Florida. Florida has tons of weapons. They just are not Alabama. In that in, in that scenario, um, yeah. so if I'm voting, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. So I think that's a great point, and probably balances out and makes it maybe even a little bit closer. If you take, if you take, uh, honestly, I think if you put either of these quarterbacks in the other offense, they'd still have the numbers they do. Trask's touchdowns would be way down. Jones's would be up because sure. Florida doesn't run the ball. So I think that if you just flipped both positions, you'd have Trask with a longer completion, a, a higher completion percentage and more yards per throw. And you'd have Jones with a little bit lower on both of those, not horribly lower, but okay. right where Trask is. And you'd have Jones with more touchdowns. So that that's well, kind and, of how I view it. So, and, so Trask is Trask is benefiting from the system, right? And Jones is benefiting from the athletes. Right. So right. to me, it makes it even closer, right? Like yeah, they both kind yeah. of have their things that are putting the, the leg up. We've talked about this and I haven't rerun the stats on it, but Alabama still has, you know, their offense is just more, I, I don't, better is a weird word. Better, yes, because it, their offense. They is, have better weapons. But, they t- total have more weapons on offense than Florida does. Ab- Absolutely. And, and their they're more balanced. Just, their offense is much more balanced. And there's nothing wrong with an offense being unbalanced. It's totally fine. I mean, you look at nobody complains about Georgia well, Tech only running and, the ball for like 80 years. I mean, and I've so, said it a million times Florida's offense is not unbalanced by design, it's unbalanced by necessity. Does Trask benefit from that? Sure. And we, again, have talked about that a million times. But Florida to take the next step from where they are now, the whole idea is to build a more balanced offense. They, they do not have the athletes to be the balanced offense that Alabama is. Dan Mullen is great at coaching with what he has, and that's why Florida has been so successful, and that's why Kyle Trask's numbers have been so successful. But it's not designed this way because it's just the way that Dan Mullen thinks that college football is headed, or it's the way for us to score more points just in general. It's the way for this team to score more points because this team doesn't have enough balance with their athletes. Yeah, I I think the offense could be very very successful running the ball. Like, I, I'm not sure that I buy that 100. percent I I don't know a, a an opponent on Florida's schedule that they wouldn't have beaten by two touchdowns outside of AM 
by being a little more run heavy. Like I, I, you know, maybe Ole Miss at the very beginning, but they did run more in that Ole Miss game than they have in others. So I don't know. I, I do agree that the offense as is at its most effective. And so maybe that's what you should just always do. But, you know, it, they had four touchdown drives on Saturday and ran the ball twice. I'm thinking they could have potentially run it more. They asked Mullen about it, and he said, maybe we'll come out in the wishbone this week and run 60 times. We all understand that that's not his going to happen. His is one of my favorite qualities of his, by the way. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think that Florida's Florida's running backs are still better than, you know, anything Tennessee had. like Florida could have run the ball every single play and still beaten Tennessee right if they'd have kept their foot on the gas because Tennessee only scored seven points you know until it yeah. was uh, until late so yeah same thing with Kentucky right like did they want to no is the offense most so Florida's running game could be good but the uh, the offense is just so the, the passing offense is just so much so much better what's going to be interesting and we'll talk obviously more about this next week and I'm excited for next Saturday more than I am this one actually I'm going to step in the champions club at Florida state this weekend. So I am actually kind of excited about this weekend to go uh, fraternize with the people that are way above my pay grade, but um, I'm very excited for next weekend. How can Florida's offense be one dimensional against a team like Alabama, right? And Alabama doesn't have like the most amazing defense or anything like that, but they are playing better here later in the year. I know they kind of struggle with Ole Miss early, but can Florida's offense be one dimensional as good as they are passing. I don't know. That's scary to, to, to give Saban the, okay, we're only going to do one thing against you here today. And so will it, will Florida's offense be able to be one dimensional and have success or will they regret not, trying, not trying try, to, yeah. because you, you can't just say like, okay, we're going to start running it against Alabama and we haven't done it in a month and a half. Sure. I, you, know, you probably should have done that against Tennessee right. or, Kentucky right. or teams like that, or uh, there's the other sides possible too. That Florida's offense is just that good, and they will be successful against Alabama. Yeah, I'm not predicting that because right. no one is success. You know, like right. Right. no one. The teams that have beaten Alabama though in the past are 100 percent uh, like down the field throwing the ball teams. You look at the old right. Miss teams that beat them. You look at um, the Oklahoma teams that beat them with with great quarterbacks and stuff in the past, they are passing teams. And so I think that that's something that Florida can have success against Alabama with that. Um, but I, you know, I don't know, not being able to run the ball at all kind of makes it interesting. And so, you know, that game is obviously we'll talk again more about it next week, but it's, it's going to be, you know, battle of strengths for sure. You know? Yeah one offense against the other. So could be a million points scored in that game. Um, Florida plays LSU this weekend in a game that is, if I'd have told you, see as much of a homer as you are, uh, I don't even think I could have told you at the beginning of this year that Florida was going to be favored uh, against the reigning national champions by 23 points. In, uh, in nah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not by 23. Not that, not that Florida has covered a, a spread in the last month. So, I mean, I, I think we can all just take LSU and call it a day, but I think that's kind of crazy, right? Like, is right. this, uh, this isn't even going to be a game. It shouldn't be a game. Um, it, it probably will because that's what it's been the last couple of weeks for Florida. Um, and I say a game. I don't know that I ever felt that any game was in jeopardy, but I also haven't felt that they've been as clean as they could be. Um, Florida's going to beat this LSU team. 23 points is a massive spread. And if you don't cover the spread against Tennessee, what was the spread against Tennessee, like 16 or 17? 17 and a half. Um, okay, 17 and a half. It's hard to wrap your head around covering the spread against a, an LSU team when it's 23 points. But um, this LSU team's not good. I mean, they're, they aren't. They aren't good. But you know what was so interesting? How much of um, Alabama LSU did you watch? Uh, none. Okay. So I don't know how it's possible for one team to be so much better than the other, but it also still be such an interesting game because it really was fun to watch. LSU really does have some playmakers. So it's it's such a bizarre thing that we have this team that is, you know, uh, 
looking at their record, complete garbage, but you know, has athletes, right? LSU can recruit with the best of them and has for a lot, a lot of years. Um, and that is always kind of scary too, when you, um, are favored by so much, if you're playing a team that, you know, has comparable athletes, LSU has comparable athletes to Florida. That doesn't mean that their quarterback is Trask or that they have somebody like Pitts, but Overall, their athletes are just as talented as the team that Florida will put on the field on Saturday, which makes it one of those things where if you aren't focused, anything can happen. Again, I've said this entire season. I don't think that there's such a thing as a trap team, trap game for this particular Florida team. I think they know what's ahead of them. But, you know, 23 points is a lot. Yeah, I think it would be very, very shocking if Florida um, was to drop this game. Oh, yeah. I could see a situation where they I could see a situation where it's close like right. the Tennessee game was at the half like the um or right game. before right before <laughs> right before the half Tennessee was 10. Yeah, where Vandy was close where Kentucky was close. I mean, I could see that, right? Like LSU's yeah. got better athletes than all those teams. Sure. Um and I think they're those... starting slow, which again, they cannot do against Alabama if they have a single chance to survive. Well, and that's the other thing. Like Florida scores so quickly, other teams have been doing their very best in the first half to limit Florida possessions, take a lot of time off the clock. You know, a a good a good strategy. And and Bud Elliott tweeted this: If Tennessee is trying in the first half, if Tennessee is playing this game not to lose, they're doing a horrible job. But if they're just playing this game to not get blown out, they're doing a fantastic job. Sure, because if you can run the ball for at least a first down and then just run the clock down, you can kill five minutes off the clock. Right. Well, if you if you kill five minutes off the clock to start the game, punt the ball to Florida, let them go down and score, and then kill another five minutes off the clock, it's the end of the first quarter and it's only seven to nothing, right? Yeah. And so you're not getting blown out. Right. And so if you happen to then luck into a touchdown, like, ten, well, I don't know if they lucked into a touchdown. They drove down 98 yard, or 96 yards and got it. So I won't even say lucked into a touchdown. But if you can then do that, like put all your eggs in one basket to go score a touchdown, now you're up seven to three and you've killed an entire quarter, right? right. So your goal, you know you're not winning, but your goal of not getting blown out is working. And that's right. what that's what Kentucky did, ran a lot of the clock. That's what Tennessee did, ran a lot of clock. Yeah. And I wouldn't be shocked if LSU tries to do the same thing this week. The worst thing you can do is let is come out, go 0 for 3, take two minutes off the clock, and give Florida the ball with 13 minutes to go in the first quarter, and they go up 7 nothing with more than 10 minutes to go in the opening quarter. Because then they're going to get the ball back two more times and probably go up 20 on you. So if you can kind of limit that and play that style, you can keep it close for a half. And that's yeah. what teams have done. Yeah. I don't think they can keep it up for the whole game because then Florida gets the ball to start the second half, usually scores, goes up by two and a half, three scores, however many, and now you've got to throw the ball to try and get back into it. So the strategy only lasts for so long. It's like the sure. mid-majors that keep it close with Duke for the first half of the tournament. You know, it's right. it's a good strategy, use a lot of clock, but LSU's got better athletes, and so if they can, you know, score a little bit more, we'll see. Bama's defense uh, was was good against LSU just in watching the hot. Like I didn't, I didn't watch the game, but Bama played LSU, but the LSU just doesn't have all of their guys right now. And so Florida, I mean, it would be shocking if they were to lose this game, they would need some really, really fluky, freaky things to, to happen yeah. to lose it. So um, yeah, I like Florida to win Florida state plays Duke. They are a favorite against Duke. Duke is not a good team at all. Um, they, have two wins on the year to match Florida State's two wins. Duke has beaten Charlotte and then Syracuse, who Syracuse is undoubtedly the worst team in the ACC with a massive loss to Liberty on their resume. Not that Liberty's terrible, but just, I mean, you know, for a group of five team to, not even a group of five team, an independent team to just absolutely blow you out. Um, Syracuse is really, really bad. So Duke hasn't beaten anybody that's impressive. Florida State's wins aren't super impressive either. Obviously, North Carolina was a good win when it happened, but they've lost a couple times since then. And, um, you know, who else? Do? Jacksonville State. So uh, Florida State could and should beat Duke this weekend. You know, it's tough to predict and say, like, that's a definite win. But if Florida State can win this and get to three wins, they can win the next one and get to four and have a little bit more respectable record to finish out the year. Uh, I'm not super confident in the Duke win, but uh, 
you know, I, I feel like I'm leaning that way for sure. Like I'll take us to cover when we do the picks later. Um, I wanted to ask you this on the Heisman that I know we're going to talk about uh, one other thing in the news and picks and get out of here, but with Mac Jones on a couple of sports books, taking the lead in the odds, are you thinking that whoever wins in Atlanta probably ends up getting it? I minus, think so. Minus, minus the fact of like, you know, Trask throws for six touchdowns and loses the game, but Jones throws for two. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think obviously like- that could be a factor. You know, the other thing that I'm interested to see, though, that I feel like could start to become a factor is um, Devonta Smith has started to gain a little bit of traction um, in the Heisman race. I don't think that he gains enough traction to win it, but I do wonder if he gains enough traction to split votes between he and Mac Jones, which could in theory be kind of another factor. And I mean, when voters vote, they rank their votes. It's one, two, and three. And, and you know, that's, uh, that is used to kind of come up. It's not like you just vote for one name, but I wonder if that in some way could become a factor in this race. Yeah, I don't know. I possibly, but again, because you're splitting, not because you're splitting votes, but because you're ranking the guys, it, I guess it all just kind of depends on how, you know, they rank them, right? Yeah, like, well, are they, people it, starting to it, think that Mac Jones looks so good because of Devonta Smith are some people, you know, if you're like, okay, this team, I'm going to vote for the best guy on the best team. So are we thinking maybe it's Smith instead? I, I just, I don't know that I think it, it will for sure be a factor. I just think it's an interesting point of reference. I think that a lot of the time I think about Mac Leinart and, and Reggie Bush. And, you know, obviously those are two guys that both won the Heisman were on the same team, but generally it's difficult to have two guys on one team be at the top of the Heisman talk. Yeah. If Kyle Pitts wouldn't have missed two games, he'd be right there too. Yes. Yes. It would be really interesting because there would be four guys playing in that game next Saturday. And so that would, you know, make it. And I think that that same thing that I'm saying about Devonta Smith, in theory, people do apply to Kyle Trask, even though Pitts is not at the top of the Heisman discussion in any way, because I have heard people say Kyle Trask isn't even the best player on his own team, let alone, you know, the best player in the country. And I do think that both Jones and Trask may have that similar statement made about both of them. The difference is, is that the other guy on Jones's team is at the top of the Heisman ballot right now. Yeah, no, and that's and the fact that and this again, somebody's gonna get upset by listening to this, so I'm gonna try and preface it. That's absolutely correct. I mean, Kyle Trask is not the best player on the offense. He's having the best year, he's having the best statistical season, but Kyle Pitts is like a top ten pick. Like it, that's not even a question of who the best player the best there's a difference between having the best year and, and best player. I right? you know, For sure. it, it, without a question, you know. Um, and the same thing for Alabama. Yeah, like Mac Jones isn't going top, but Smith will. So, like, you sure. know, same thing there. You know, I mean, Jalen Waddle to me was better than, um, than Mac Jones as far as like a talented athlete goes. Correct. You know, like, Correct. you know, so yeah, no, I'm I'm totally on board with that. But that's what's so hard. You know, do you? It's it's kind of just like the playoff, right? When you're voting on the Heisman, are you voting for best statistical year? Are you voting for most team impact? Are you voting on doing more with less, right? You talk about trash. Are you voting on it's a team? They say it's not, but it's a team award. You can very, very rarely win it. If your team isn't competing for a championship, I think that having a good story becomes a factor to a lot of these people too. Yeah. And I think a big one that we're going to talk about is that head to head matchup. You know, it's, it's it's what does that look like? Big, so big I guys think, make big time plays in big time games, and so that you know that will be a factor. So yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun um, over these next two weeks. I would not anticipate anything happens this weekend with you guys playing LSU and then playing Arkansas, uh, but you could also see somebody play their way out of it if something crazy was to happen in one of those two games. Not that I see that happening. Um, you wanted to talk before we get to some picks. You wanted to talk about the Texas situation. I do. Um, okay, cool. Hook them. <laughs> so Tom Herman, his seat is real, real, real hot. The the um, uh, the rumors in the social media world are that essentially the decision has already been 
made. The trigger just has not been pulled on Tom Herman being out at Texas. Um, so much so that there's even, you know, names that are being circulated. The first one that we keep hearing is Urban Meyer. Um, I would be incredibly shocked if that were to happen. But another name that we keep hearing a lot is Dan Mullen. Um, I also think that that's kind of crazy. But, uh, you know, the last two times that Texas needed a coach, right, when they fired Mac, Mac uh, Brown, they hired Charlie Strong. Ch- Charlie Strong was in his second season at Louisville, which was also his second season as a head coach, right? And prior to Charlie Strong, Will Muschamp was the coach in waiting at Texas before he took the Florida job. Okay. So if Florida doesn't hire Muschamp, Muschamp is, is who gets there as opposed to Strong. But anyway, Charlie Strong, after Charlie Strong is let go, they go after Tom Herman. Tom Herman had been at Houston, I want to say three or four years total, right? So I, and those were both hot names at the time in coaching searches, certainly not implying that they are not. But it's wild to me that the Texas faithful thinks that they're getting an Urban Meyer or even wooing away from Florida, a Dan Mullen, when their last two hires have a combined six years head coaching experience total between the two of them, they haven't landed. And I think the Texas job was a better job each of the last two times that they've made a hire than I would say that it is today. Um, in 2017, they redid their locker room. They did an $8 million renovation at the time. It made it incredibly, you know, incredibly started the art. There have been several articles that have come out this week talking about how Texas's facilities uh, overall need a facelift. And, and, you know, for a very, very long time, Texas was considered top 10 for um, facilities. They've got some of the most money in college football. They could do whatever they want with it. They could pay whatever they want for whatever coach. But I think, first of all, Dan Mullen's not going to Texas. But I'm try- I want to explain to you why that's just such an absurd thought, like, Ford is getting a makeover on on all of their stuff, right? It's a lot of it's happening currently. A lot of it was contingent on the baseball field being torn down. Now that it's down, Florida standalone facility is going in there. He has convinced the university to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on um, majorly upgraded facilities. Because Texas needs those, whoever goes there is then three or four years away from having those facilities, which means they also have to survive three or four years as the head coach period to even, you know, survive long enough to get to benefit from those if they get, you know, permission to have them built day one, right? So it doesn't make a lot of sense that you leave a program that you have turned around, that you have going the right direction, and you have the currently under construction, the facilities that you think are necessary for them to compete for any recruit in the country, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you would essentially go backwards, go to a program that sure has a lot of money and has a good storied history, but is worse off than Florida was when you took the job, or at least at a similar place, and doesn't have plans for new facilities at the moment. So it's go- that's going to be a hindrance in terms of recruiting and stuff. I just, I don't expect them to make a hire that's any different than the last two hires that they made in terms of experience and credibility. Yeah. So I think it would be, there are some, and I don't think that Mullen is going there either. So I'll just say that. So like, I'm not trying to say that there would be a, Everything in life is pros and cons. There are more pros for Mullen to stay at Florida, but there are some pros for going. I mean, like I'll just from, from the outset, you know, these guys are in it to make money. Obviously they want to win too, but Texas can pay just an exorbitant amount of money. So I'll, I'll start with that. I don't think Florida wants to, but I think Florida could pay whatever they needed to pay to keep him here. I think that they're hoping that that does not happen, but Florida boosters would make that happen. I think they could, but I, if it truly came down to a bidding war, Florida would have a, here's where we're stopping. Like we're not paying you like Saban type thing, you know, like I, you know, which Saban's contract says that he has to be the highest paid guy. Right. Like, so, you know, whatever Mullen got, like Saban would get jumped over. But like, I, I would just say, like, I think that, that Texas would win a bidding war if that's truly what it came down to. I don't think that's Mullen's number one priority. You know, a guy that's making millions of dollars a year. Yeah, is you're making leave. six, $7 million a year. Right. I, I mean, leave for 10, you know, I, I don't know. 
I, but I do think that's a benefit. I mean, at the same time, like that's a pro, right? Like if I, I would, because I don't care. I mean, Mullen has the ties to Florida from like the mid two thousands, but like he's not like a Florida guy. That, you know, no, like, so, he's not. A, he's not a born so, bred Gator by any um, means. So that side of things, I think the setup to to win in the Big Twelve would be easier for him than the SEC. I think recruiting would be easier. Um, in Texas than it than it is here right now because you've got Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State and all of them basically coming in and taking the very best from from Florida. Um, but outside of that, the job is incredibly difficult because the expectations are that you're going to come in and win now. Now I do think that Mullen's good enough to where that they would. I think he I would think go there, there would be massive would, improvements right yeah, off the bat for sure. They, they would go there and, and he would win nine to 10 games a year because the only game that they'd really worry about is Oklahoma. Everybody else stink. Like he would beat everybody else, you know? I and mean, it so, would be an immediate turnaround. It, I, I think so, but that job, the expectations there are insane for a program. That's not very good, right? Like the right. expectations at Clemson and Alabama and Ohio been good State for are, a long time. They've played in right. the big 12 championship. I think one or two times in the past decade. Right. So that's just a, yeah, and so that's just a job that is just an absolute thankless job unless you can get in there and win 11 games and and start to win the Big 12 and then be in the playoffs just, and like that. So I just don't see it I it's a good job for the from a sense of like resources and pay and everything else like most people most people in America are not turning that job down like there there may be like five or 10 that, that aren't like if Texas comes call, like you're going to take it because again, it's money and things like that. But I don't know. I don't think it's a place where people are. I think it's a place where people are set up to fail from the start. Like you are, you go there and you're going to fail. Like you yeah. just are. They ousted Mac Brown after winning 10 games for how many years? Like, I just don't, you know, there are some pros to going to, 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 to Texas for Mullen or anyone else, but there are way more cons and, you know, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough. You know, like long term, I, I just, I don't know. Like somebody's going to go there and be there for three to four years and, and they're going to And then they're going to have this problem you know? again. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think. Um, this would be a good job for Luke Fickle, like at Cincinnati, like take that step up. A yeah, guy it's going to be right something that is that this is a clear step up. I think, I yeah. think at the worst, it's a lateral move from Florida to Texas. But I honestly think right now, I think Florida is the better job than Texas is right now. I understand what you're saying about who they're repeat, re, um who they're competing with for recruits in the state of Florida. But the state of Florida and the state of Texas have so many really good high school football players. There's an embarrassment of riches here that I don't really know that even those teams coming in and having success in this state make a huge difference on on um, your recruiting. I don't know that I think as an 18-year-old that Texas is really that hot of a place to go to at the moment. None of those kids are old enough to remember when Texas was good. Um, so I, I don't know that that is such a factor. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's such a hot destination as it once, once was. Um, we talked about the facilities and, and I do, yes, I think at the very end of the day, if it came down to solely money, Florida would draw a line in the sand, probably not because they couldn't round it up if they didn't want to, or if they wanted to, but because they also put so much money into other programs all the way around. Um, you know, Florida, Florida doesn't just put an emphasis on football. They put an emphasis on a lot of sports. And I think maybe that would be the final line. I just, Dan Mullen's not going to Florida. Urban Meyer's not going to Florida. I, I think that that's as silly as saying something like Dabo is or whatever. I, excuse I me, Texas, God. I don't, I don't know if it's as crazy as, as Dabo, but I mean, I'll say that it's still up there. It know, just, like. I think it's unrealistic and I think it's unrealistic, especially if you look at their last two coaching hires. Um, you know, when they, when they hired Charlie Strong, well, why didn't they just hire Urban Meyer? You know, like I just, some of these names that I, I just, I think they're unrealistic. And that doesn't mean that the school's actually really looking into these people so much as the fans are saying that this is who they want to look into. But I would expect that they hire an up and, up and coming coach from a smaller power five school. I think the, mentioning Luke Fickle, I think that that makes perfect sense. I think somebody from a smaller school that's having su success is who they go with. Yeah, and Mullen's taking the Notre Dame job in a couple of years anyway, and so like I wouldn't go to Texas. We hear that about the USC job too. Um, 
I will tell you, and I don't know if I've told you this on the show before or not, but years ago I was sitting watching Eric's practice and um, one of his coaches on his staff, who I will not name on the pod, um, came over and sat but next to me, me and there was – tell me off there. I'll tell, tell you off air, but I'm just not going right, to put this out there. Was um, There was a lot of talk at the moment about Urban to Notre Dame at that moment. And he said, you know, Urban's not leaving to go to Notre Dame. If Urban ever coaches anywhere other than Florida, it will be Ohio State. And this was mm, 2006, maybe. Uh, it was before they won their national title. So 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, so it's just interesting. I think Ohio State was it. I think I don't think Notre Dame was it. So I don't know that there is as much love there as people think that there is. I don't think that there's any for USC unless, unless Urban Meyer has some love affair with LA that we don't know about. I think that, I don't think that one makes sense literally at all, but I think Ohio state was going home in his mind. Well, I'll ask you this and then we'll, we'll go on um, to the picks and and get you out of here. But what uh, does Urban Meyer coach again? I don't know. You know, it's a, uh, there's a large part of me that wants to say yes, because I, I think that he's one of those people that always has that itch. Um, I think he's great on Fox. Actually. I think that he's incredibly relatable and I think he does a great job of explaining what is going on in plays in a way that people that are, that are not football players understand. Um, which I think is kind of the hard part about broadcasting football games, right? Most of the guys that do it are former players. Their knowledge of it is so extensive that they just kind of automatically explain it on that level. And I think Urban Meyer does a really good job explaining it to like the lay person. But, uh, and I think that Shelly likes having him home, but it really, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up coaching again. It won't be at Texas though. Yeah. So I, I think he's incredible at what he does and so much better than everybody else that's kind of breaking stuff down. Not everybody else. Like I'm a, I'm a huge Herb Street fan and stuff like that. Yeah, but just, yeah me too. Yeah, like, he's, he's, he's doing a great so, job right now. He's so, so good. But I could see him getting bored with that. Not yeah. that I have a personal relationship with him and, and no or anything like that. But I could see him getting bored and, and wanting to get back in in a couple of yeah. years. So. Yeah. Or being an AD or something like that. So I, I could, I could yeah. very much. I think, I mean, him being the AD at Ohio State definitely, I don't think, is a, uh, a huge stretch. Yeah. So I would say, yes, I would say he does coach at some point or be an AD or something that, you know, to get back into it. Um, recapping some games from last week, the Oklahoma state game, we both took them. They lost outright. Uh, so n- nobody hit that. We both hit Texas A&M. The game was close in the first half, but ended up going Texas A&M's way pretty easily. Ohio state, I took, you took Michigan State, Ohio State won big, so I got it. We both took Wisconsin, and they nearly won that game, 14-6 to final. And so, man, what an ugly game. Indiana found a way to win, though. Uh, Oregon, we both took them, and they lost. We both took Bama, and they blew out LSU. We both took UF in a very bad decision by us. Uh, backdoor cover lost us that one. So for the week, you went 3-3. Three and three. I went 4-2 and two for the season. I've got great news here today that I am 39 and 39. I am back to 500 and we've got another six games to pick this week. So hopefully I can go over 500. Um, You are 36 and 40. So you're. No, 36 and 40. No, I'm not. 36, oh, 36 out, of, out of 40. Okay. Sorry. I was definitely hearing that wrong. 30, 36 30, and 40. Got it. Yeah. 36. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm wrong about that. 36 and 42. Okay. Sorry. Cause it's 78. So 36 out of 78, you're three games behind me to get back to 500. So you need, you need to go five and one this week. So no pressure. Yeah. Um, Ohio state opens up as the largest favorite they've ever been against Michigan. They're a 29 point favorite according to ESPN, because our pick them doesn't, it stopped last week. They didn't do a week 15 or 16. Um, so Ohio state is a 29 point favorite against Michigan. Uh, who do you like Ohio state? I think that they are going to wax the floor with Michigan and I am going to love it. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got Ohio State winning that one too. Uh, UGA is a thirteen point favorite against Missouri. 
Um, UGA. I like them to win as well. North Carolina plays Miami in a closer game than maybe I would have expected this spread to be. Miami doesn't tend to blow anyone out. Um, they are a three and a half point favorite. Mm, Miami is a three and a half point favorite. Nope. I think I think Miami covers. I will give you the chance to catch up here. I'll take UNC. Um, UF is a 23 and a half point favorite against LSU. Give me LSU to cover the spread here. <sighs> give me Florida because I cannot bet against them, even though I don't think it's the smart decision. Well, your worlds are going to come live next week when you have to bet against Saban or UF. So I know. Kill me. Um, I'm not going to do that. Uh, maybe with bourbon. <laughs> we'll see during the game. Uh, I said I wouldn't do this, but I'll take Florida state to cover the five points against Duke. Give me Duke. Yes. So I'm going to pick up two points on you this week and then Iowa or three, Ooh, the UNC one too. And then last but not least, I don't know why I let say this for last, like it was exciting or something, but Iowa versus Wisconsin is a pick em. Um, I think I like Iowa to win. I was going to say, give me Iowa. I like Kurt Ferenz. Um, I have nothing to base that on at all, but I guess I'll take them. Um, all right. So we talked about the, again, re- recapping real quick. We talked about the, the, the ball drive, the sports ball drive. Let me watch my, you said earlier, like more balls, the, the more balls, the better. And I almost threw like a office <laughs> joke in, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> So we talked about the sports ball drive. Hit us up this week on that. We'll all tweet stuff about it. Uh, be awesome for everyone to get involved with supporting that. And uh, other than that, the next time we talk, it'll be SEC Championship Week. So it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, oh, I have a shout out before we go. Shout out to Dan Mullen for I tweeted this and a lot of people got very upset with this, but I was just trying to give some props and some praise. Shout out to Dan Mullen for accomplishing something in his third year that Jim McElwain was able to accomplish in both of his first two years at UF um, in making the trip to Atlanta in the SEC championship game. That's super impressive to, um, to now be halfway to the esteemed Jim McElwain's SEC East title race. So uh, very, very well deserved there in Gainesville for that award. <laughs> you are ridiculous, but you know what? I'll take it taking three years to get there and feeling like there's at least somewhat of a shot than feeling like the sacrificial lamb the previous two uh, times McElwain went. No, no, you guys are getting flown out to lose by 40, so it's all good. Um, all right, anything else before we go? No, I think that's it. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. <laughs>